Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram, Abram was 75 years old when, when he left Haran. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Give it up for Ryan. Nailed it. I won't even read off that screen. I'm, you kill, you're killing it, man. That's awesome. Well, good morning. Man. So we're starting a new series today. Uh, if this is your first time with us or you are visiting, kicking the tires on this thing, thank you for being here. Um, there is uh, a lot of people that are going to swarm you uh, after service if they haven't already, um, and they're just going to tell you that they love you and they're so glad that you're here, because um, that's how we roll. Um, if we could be different, we would, but we can't, so sorry. Um, we are so excited to, uh, to join together as the church and to continue this thing called... Um, Sunday mornings and this tradition we have, and um, it, it takes so many different shapes and forms, and we were uh, just at our uh, annual awakening, annual conference last week, and you see churches from rural Texas and everywhere from the Gulf of Mexico up to the Red River, and, um, and you just see that, man, we, like there is a body of Christ, not even just Methodist, but just the body of Christ, and this thing called Sunday morning, like it is so, so cool, and every now and again, we lose sight of it. Um, I lose sight of it because I'm here and I'm in this room and this is where we do and that kind of stuff. But just take a second and think about all of the believers all over the world and really even just think, just, just try to wrap your brain around the state of Texas. That there are men and women joining together to say, you know what? I want to know this person, Jesus, and I want to follow after him. I want to be a disciple of Christ. And I believe that this thing is real and that it carries weight and substance. And the church said... That's a cool thing. So when I say we're so glad you're here, it's, it's not our thing. It's just we're glad that we get to join together as believers and, um, and discover who the Lord is. And so uh, if that's you and you're here and you're visiting, man, we're so glad that you are with us. If you are online and you're joining us, uh, we'd love to connect with you. I wish we had a singular button we could send you to, but that's coming. I need you to email info at resurrectiongmc.com, and uh, I will respond to that email and get back in touch with you. So if you're joining online and would like to connect further with the church, um, that is a good way to do it. So as we start this new series called The Arcs, and Judy, I'm sorry, um, that's not actually a word um, necessarily, um, but uh, the subtitle I'm hoping is, it kind of gives it away. So uh, for the next seven weeks, we are going to be um, looking at the arcs. So the matri and patri of scripture and of our faith. So I did a little millennial Gen Z thing where you shorten a word and you make it hip. Um, so, uh, but we're going to be jumping into this and I'm really excited. Um, Josh is going to be preaching uh, in the month of March. Uh, and so he's getting prepared around that. Um, but uh, we have to start with this premise if we're looking at the arcs. And again, just cringe a little and then go with it, all right? But we ask the question, what is the Bible? It's not rhetorical. What is the Bible? 
God's word. I heard some more. The word of God. Okay. Spoiler alert, Ryan. All right. So, so Ryan said the answer, but the next question would be what's in the Bible? Stories. Right? So the Bible is the word of God. It is truth, final, all these different things we can. I, I remember uh, I grew up in church, and so Sunday school, um, I was always the smart aleck kid that no matter what the question was, what was the answer? Jesus. What's the Bible? Jesus. Yay. I was hoping somebody was going to pull that old school move out, but thank you all for not. So what is in the Bible? Stories. Who is the only character who appears in every single story in the Bible? Who is the only character who appears in every single story in the Bible? God. It was so simple. It just, but it's God. And here's what we, here's what we know, that stories matter because they connect to something within us. Stories matter because they connect to something within us. There's a reason that these are stories and all of the different forms that they take. The poetic, the songs of psalms, the apocalyptic, the parables, all of the forms that stories take, but they are all a story. And the only character that is consistent through the entire scripture is God. I'm, it's reductive to call God a character, I understand, but just trying to get your brain in the story mindset. And yet I know this, that it's possible to read the Bible and lose sight of the main character, who is God, because we're so busy identifying with supporting cast or maybe the history or geography that's taking place or even the moral or the lesson that's taking place within the story. So for these seven weeks, we're going to ask the question, what does this story tell me about God? What does this story tell me about God? And just, I'm saying this is kind of in, in all of us, so don't take this as like a personal judgment. So often, I'm not asking, what does this story tell me about God? I'm trying to figure out what's the algorithm or the equation of the story that gets me the same results that I'm seeing in the story. Or avoiding the pain and suffering that I'm seeing in the story. For, and it's, it, it's this math equation where I'm trying to say, okay, well, do, do this, but don't do that. And then hold your left foot up just right. And I'm trying to solve this Rubik's Cube of Scripture instead of asking a very simple question of, what is this is even telling me about the creator of the universe, Yahweh? What does this tell me about God? The primary reason that we're, we're going to attack these scriptures and these stories in this way is we want to move from an informational faith to a revelational faith. Nothing wrong with information. There's my caveat, right? We, we seek, I mean, the information, the stories, the specifics, the lessons, the, 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 the truth that we find in Scripture, like, that can just be a big ball of information or it can be a revelation of who God is, how he speaks, how he moves. 
And in these seven weeks, we're going to look at Paul, Peter, Mary Magdalene, Esther, David, Ruth, and Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, we're not going to stop. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left. Now I'll stop. I'm sorry. Father Abraham and many sons. Today we're going to talk about Abraham. And because the story is the story and it matters, I'm going to give you the cliff notes of Abraham's story that starts in Genesis 11, really Genesis 12. But there's a shift that takes place in Genesis um, and, and, and uh, right there at 11 and 12 is where it takes place. So this is approximately 400 years uh, after Noah's death. We find that out in Genesis 11. And then if you, uh, if you go to Joshua 24:2, we find out that Abraham's father, Terah, was a pagan, idol-worshiping, not follower of God. That was Abraham's family system. He was Abram, then it changes to Abraham. We're gonna, that's going to be in here a little bit too, but just Abram, Abraham, those are all the same. In Genesis 12, the, here's, the, here's the immediate switch. God makes a covenant with Abraham, and we're going to talk about that covenant here in just a little bit, but he's, he's 75 years old. He doesn't make a covenant with a 12-year-old. He is 75 years old. Next, Abraham gives away his wife. This literally happens, like, first half of chapter 12, God gives a covenant and this beautiful promise. Second half of chapter 12, Abraham's given Sarah away to save his own skin. And he also does it, he does it twice. He does it again in chapter 20. Next up, in chapter 16, Sarah tells Abraham to sleep with Hagar, her servant, because God again given this promise that Abraham was going to have all these offspring. They were going to outnumber the sands of the seashores, and, and they hadn't seen it. It hadn't come to pass. And so the, both Sarah and Abraham get a little bit antsy, and so Sarah comes up with an idea of like, well, here, take my servant. And, um, that, and so he sleeps with Hagar. Ishmael's born. We're not going to go into all that. But it's a major part of the story. Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. This is, again, chapter 16, and Abraham is 87 years old. So they lasted about 12 years. <laughs> and then in chapter 21, Isaac is born. The promise fulfilled, and Abraham is 100 years old. Next in chapter 22, God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, probably the most common, popular Story of Abraham that, that you, if you've hung out in church for more than five seconds, if someone's talking about Abraham, they're usually talking about Abraham taking Isaac to sacrifice him on the altar and then God providing a ram in this beautiful foreshadowing that we have of, of even the sacrifice in the life of Jesus. His only son, God gave his only son, Abraham's only son. There's a, there's a, there's a line that's drawn between those two, but we're not going to go into that. Chapter 23, Sarah dies at the age of 127. Chapter 24, Abraham sends uh, a servant to find Isaac a wife. And then Abraham dies at the age of 175. These are the cliff notes of the story of Abraham. And they're good. And we could spend a half a year 
on these chapters in the book of Genesis. But we're not going to. Because why? We're asking the question, what does this tell me about God? And as I read through and read through, the, the loudest pronouncement and the thing that I just, the, the Lord just kept putting on my heart was starting in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, that's also Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. In this account in Genesis we see in, 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 in chapter 18, we see a little bit of a precursor where God knew more about Abraham than Abraham knew about himself. When he steps on the scene, because again, in chapter 11, what precedes this, this passage in chapter 12 is a lineage. And it's just so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, from Noah to Abram. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, now the Lord said to Abram, So God knew something about Abraham that Abraham didn't know about himself. We also see in this that, that there is nowhere in, in this, uh, this pronouncement of the promise and the blessing where Abraham had to prove his value to earn the promise. There was no litmus test. He didn't ask for his SAT scores. And then finally, that the covenant made was not contingent on Abraham's performance. We see that in the cliff notes. God made this covenant with Abraham, but it was not contingent that he get everything right and that every single step that he make be perfect and orderly. Because you cannot read the account of Abraham and say that he hit the nail on the head. Because he didn't. <laughs> Spoiler alert. So the question is, if God steps onto the scene in chapter 12 and, and begins to pronounce, I will make you a great name. I will build your house. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Then what is Abraham's part? I think we can delve into this just for a second. And, and, and in the book of Hebrews, we see what is Abraham's part, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. This is Hebrews 11, sorry. And then verse nine. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as, a, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was, uh, when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And then in verse 17, by faith, Abraham went, uh, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. What did Abraham bring? Faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's favor and promise. 
Abraham did not have to do anything to earn the promise, to earn the covenant. That was God's. God made that covenant, and he was going to uphold that covenant because God is the only one righteous enough and glorious enough and has has the ability to do that. God entered into this covenant with Abraham, and Abraham's response was in faith. He believed what God said he would do. And we can get stuck there on, like, how do I make myself believe? But the truth is, is that I don't think we have the power within us to make ourselves believe. But what we do have is we have the opportunity in faith to step out on a true promise of who God is. So we ask the question again, what does this story tell me about God? And again, just to point out that if we see Abraham as the primary character in this story and we don't acknowledge that God is the primary character in the story, that God enacted the covenant, then we miss the whole thing and we begin to try to take a moral or a lesson out of a story and then force feed it into how we function on a day-to-day basis. And that's all well and good. You can probably get some, some good you know, results and some different things, but you can do that and miss the question, what does this tell me about God? And I think this is what this passage, this story tells us about God. That God's favor is unmerited. Four words. God's favor, his promise, his faithfulness, his goodness is unmerited. Reject the part of your head that wants to say, yeah, I know. Because we're switching from an informational base to a revelational base. And if all I have is the information that God's favor is unmerited, but I don't have the revelation of what that truly means. What that means is that there is nothing that you can do to earn God. There is nothing that you or I can do to, to, to secure for ourselves a promise when God makes a promise. That is hard for us because I want rules and I want yes and no's and I want to be able to have some sort of like, I nailed it today. I want a grade. I do. By the way, I got an A in my paper this week. I love A's. They make me feel good. But I earned that A. God doesn't work that way. He made a way. Even in the old covenant, even before there was, there was Jesus in the cross in the, in the resurrection, before we had this picture of this beautiful sacrifice, even in the beginnings of him cultivating for himself a people as he called Abram forward, he said, this is mine. And by faith, Abraham responded. 
imperfect as it was, he believed God when God told him, I'm walking in covenant with you. Galatians 3, 11 through 14, drives this home a little bit more for us. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There's a lot that has taken place between Galatians and Genesis. But if you don't believe that this is also our reality, Paul spells it out for us in this letter. And he says, listen, faith is your key. Faith is, faith is your response to God's covenant. And when you respond in faith, then you get to walk with God in the covenant. And when you respond in disobedience and self-will, in your own plans, in your own agendas, or if your faith shifts to your own abilities, then you will find yourself distant, separated, hurting. But we also see in the story of Abraham where that's okay. God can work with that. And at every turn, he calls us back, calls us back, to a faith that responds to his promise and his covenant. The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So let's read the blessing of Abraham again. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will dis- in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes and amen, said the church of 2024 in Arlington, Texas. But we, we will miss, we will miss it. And I say we will miss it because I have missed it. You have missed it. We have missed it. We've treated a revelational God with an informational mind in response. And even when we get it right, we miss it. Even when the the things line up and I get my A, I'm like, where's God? Because God's faithfulness secures his covenant with us. So what does this story of Abraham tell us about God? Carolyn, we're going we're to shift down to the end there. One, God's favor is unmerited. Cannot be earned. Here's the cool part. You already have it. 
It would be really cruel if his favor was unmerited and it was withheld. If his love was unmerited, if his approval and acceptance and, and if, if it was unmerited and he was also like, and you can't touch it. So not only can you not earn it, but I'm not giving it to you. But he gives it to you freely. So quit trying to earn it, he said to himself. God's covenant, second, God's covenant is built on his faithfulness. Not mine, not yours, not ours. His covenant is built on his faithfulness. Whether we participate in that or not, does not change the fabric and the foundation of what the covenant is. That's hard, but just take a second. I'm going to say it again. God's covenant is built on his faithfulness, not mine, not yours, not ours. When I walk in line with it, I get to experience everything connected to it. But even when I don't, it does not shift. And the church said, amen. That's good news. And then finally, that God's promise is final. Even when I, even when you, even when we try to take control. We see that in the in this story, but it tells us something about God. Because even when, when Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham, even when Abraham gave Sarah to the Egyptians, even when, even when, even when, throughout the story, even when, God said, no, my promise is final. Come on. Consequences, yeah. Is it going to be, is it going to be easier? Probably not. But his promise is final, and it stays final. And the church said, come on. Let's invite the band up as we close today. It's too easy sometimes to, to step into these beautiful works of literature and art and these these incredibly powerful stories of men and women who, who did something extraordinary, who something crazy incredible happened in their life, so much so that it got written down most of the time on little clay pots and gathered up all these years later and researched and studied and in the, in that, the, that the power and the presence of the Lord would move through black and white letters on a page. Yet it's the, it's the most true thing that we have is the scripture. And again, the enemy doesn't need you to not read the Bible. He would love it if you didn't read the Bible. But the enemy would also really love it if you read the Bible and didn't ask anything about the, who God was and what does this tell me about the creator? What does this tell me about this God that I serve? What does this tell me about what has happened throughout the entire time, history of humanity on the earth of how God moved and how he showed up and how people responded and dropped the ball and how God's faithfulness and his promise swept back through again. 
We're never going to find a denomination, a church structure, a pastor, a council that is gonna be able to nail everything and get it all right. We are going to mess this thing up over and over again. And the reason I am so sure of it is because everybody else has too. And yet we rejoice because his promise is final and his covenant is unchanging. And he, all, and he asks us to just take that step in faith. And in faith, the next. And when I mess up, in faith, I take the next. And when I sidestep and I'm off balance and I don't know which way is up, in faith, even just to stand. Amen. I can, I can get excited about that process because I know what my capacity is. My capacity is limited. My ability is not going to cut it. So I get to rely on faithful God that through time has said, I'm here. I've got you. Because I'm the God of Abraham and I was the same yesterday